how many of you here, I think just a couple days ago was the 15th anniversary of Brother Hagin's home going. How many of you got to hear Brother Hagin minister in person? Wow, most of you, very good. Um, you know, just wonderful man. And um, one thing that Brother Hagin taught that I wish I had, it had sunk in deeper when I first heard him teach it, but he had a ministry of the laying on of hands. That was something that, you know, a special thing that God had given him. And of course, you know, it's like so many things. Any believer can lay hands on somebody in faith. But then some people have a specific ministry along those lines. Uh, Paul said anybody could prophesy, but some people are definitely more gifted and anointed than others. And um, many times when Brother Hagin was getting ready to have a healing line, um, he would explain how the Lord had appeared to him and put his finger on the palm of his hands and said, I've given you a special anointing and so on. And then, but one thing he would always say is he would have the congregation say out loud one way, not the only way that Jesus heals is through the laying on of hands. And he wanted them to understand this. He wanted the people to understand that God uses different methods, that God is not restricted to one specific uh, way of, you know, for example, some people are healed through uh, just the prayer of faith, some people through the prayer of agreement, uh, some people through the anointing of oil, uh, some people are healed through gifts of the Spirit, um, you know, some people are healed just the Word is medicine to their flesh. So he wanted people to not get locked into thinking that God can only do things one way. And you've all heard the old phrase uh, that if the only tool that you have in your toolkit is a hammer, it's amazing how much everything looks like a nail. Have you heard that phrase? And so if, when, when, if you are a Bible teacher, then you tend to think that the, the solution to everybody's problems is through Bible teaching. That's, that's the solution to everything. On the other hand, if you're an intercessor and you pray deep things in the Spirit, you think that prayer is the answer to everything. Um, if you are a, I mean, you can just name anything. If you are a, um, ah, what else would there be? Just a what? Exhorter. Yeah, everybody just needs to be exhorted. If you're, if you're a mercy person, if you're a comforter, then you just say everybody needs comfort. We all tend to think that, you know, there's just one tool uh, in this deal. And um, uh, there, so I want to introduce you to this concept, and I'm sure you've thought of it in different ways before, maybe not with these exact terms, but I want to introduce you to the thought of multidimensional ministry. Multidimensional ministry. And what that means is one size doesn't fit all. Jesus talked to different people differently. You know, he talked to the woman at the well a certain way. He talked to the rich young ruler a certain way. He talked to Nicodemus a certain way. He talked to the woman taken in adultery a different way yet. You know, but Jesus was able to meet people where they were. Um, 
according to their needs at a given moment. He was able to connect with people even according to their background and things of that nature. Uh, Probably the simplest verse of the Bible that introduces us to the concept of multidimensional ministry is uh, Romans 12, 15. Uh, Rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those that weep. That's that's different types of tools, two different tools, as it were. Um, Rick Warren made a statement that I thought was very good. He said, healthy, lasting church growth. Now, notice he uses the word growth, church growth. What do people always think of immediately when they hear the word church growth? Numbers. Numbers. He said this, healthy, lasting church growth is multidimensional. He says, my definition of a growing church has five facets. Every church needs to grow warmer through fellowship. Have you ever thought of that? Is your church growing? Was it growing warmer through fellowship? Deeper through discipleship, stronger through worship, broader through ministry, serving, and larger through evangelism. So he talks about five different ways a church can grow. We tend to only think of one way. So to me, that's very interesting. Um, When we learn to think multidimensionally, we move away from thinking either or, and we begin thinking both and. We don't just think of one dimension. And it's, it's, see, because most of us are geared, we have a certain thing that we like the best. We have a certain flavor that we like the best. Do you know what music is really, really anointed? The, the most anointed music is the style that I like. That's the most anointed. It's the style I like. See, sometimes we make the mistake that thinking just because it's our preference that it's also God's favorite. And maybe God has, you know, see, I grew, I grew up with James Taylor uh, Jim Croce, um, some guys, you know, that kind of the soft acoustic, you know, stuff. So to me, when I hear Christian worship that's sort of like that, I just, that just carries me away. Somebody else who grew up with totally different style of music, it's, you know, somebody who grew up with Southern gospel, they think Southern stuff is the most anointed, and I can't say that it's not because Pastor Hagen likes that, so I have to, you know, yes, Pastor Hagen, that's really anointed, but, but, but he, he will be the first one to admit that, you know, what other people like may not be what he likes, but we like, we tend to like what we grew up with, and um, we tend to think that God can only work through the kind of thing. Now, see, some people are very intellectual, And so they're geared, they like teaching that is very rational, logical. Other people are very, they're intuitive, they're more spiritual in that sense. And so they like the more spiritual, the emphasis on the supernatural, the miraculous. And so, you know, some people, um, you know, they're analytical and, and different, everybody's different. So I would ask this question today. 
was Jesus' ministry. Did he do his ministry based on strategy, strategical, analytical approach, or did he do his ministry supernaturally? Who said both? Thank you. Let, let, let me give you an example. The feeding of the 5,000. Think about that. The feeding of the 5,000. Now, we absolutely know that there was a supernatural component there, right? Because if you take five loaves and a few fish and you end up feeding five, something supernatural happened. Something miraculous happened. So we know and, we, and, and you know what? We celebrate that. Um, but before Jesus prayed and blessed and multiplied that food, do you know what he had his disciples do? He said, have them sit down in groups of 50. Have them sit down in groups of 50. Now, how many of you know, especially if you're a pastor, to get 5,000 people... To even listen to the instructions. <laughs> John Osteen one time got, he was just kind of frustrated because his people during announcements, you know the story I'm about to tell, his people just were not listening during announcements. And uh, so he decided he's going to do an experiment. And in the middle of announcements, he's just going through them. And um, he says, oh, and by the way, I just need to let everybody know, we, we now have an alligator in the baptistry. And then he went on with the next announcement. Thousands of people in church, nobody blinks an eye. And he says, he, and he, he, but he did this as an experiment. And he said, after church, in the lobby, one person, an eight-year-old kid, comes up and says, Pastor John, just how big is that alligator? <laughs> He's the only person out of three or four, eight thousand, I don't know how many thousand he had at that time. Only one person paid attention. So Jesus has the disciples get the people to sit down in groups of 50. Now, I say that is strategic, but I guess that could be miraculous too. The fact that they were able to get 5,000 people to listen long enough to get them to sit down in groups of 50. But there, were, there was organization. There was some thought given to organization. How are we going to organize this thing? And then Jesus didn't actually give any food to the multitudes. He had the disciples give the food. So there was delegation. And then thirdly, the Bible says after everybody had eaten, then Jesus had the disciples go out and gather up the leftover fragments. So think about this. There was a focus on efficiency and not being wasteful, being a good steward of the resources. So was, was Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 strategic or supernatural? And I agree with my brother, it was both. It, it, see, it wasn't either or, it was both and. And what happens, I think, a lot of times in our minds, see, like when I was very young in ministry, I thought it was just preaching, teaching, and healing only. But it was, it was all of the above. And, and so to me, when I begin to think of a multidimensional ministry, I, I want to make sure that I'm not just narrowly missing something, 
that um, is very important. So let's look at Ephesians uh, 3.17. Ephesians 3.17. And I've got this in the King James, but I'm going to substitute one word based on the New King James. But Paul prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints. So how many of us does God want to understand this? All of us. That you may be able to comprehend with all saints how wide, how long, how deep, and how high is the love of God, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled, everybody say filled, filled with all the fullness of God. I was looking at this verse some time ago, and I began to wonder, you know, what is the, 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 how, how wide the love of God is? What does that mean? How long the love of God is? How, how, uh, deep the love of God is, how high, what, I mean, to, can, do you understand, I was feeling, this is so abstract, I don't, I don't know any practical, tangible application of this, how wide, how long, how deep, how high, and I began to wonder what would be, because one of the things that I look for as a teacher, I look for the practical application, so how, how would, how would this impact my life in a practical way, what is something I could do that would practically reflect these, what to me were abstract concepts of width, length, breadth, depth, etc. But he goes on to say that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And, And the implication is, because Paul wants all believers to comprehend what are these multi-dimensions? These are different dimensions. Literally, how long, deep, wide, high, those are dimensions. And Paul says if we comprehend these, then we'll be filled with all the fullness of God. So is he saying that if we don't comprehend them, that maybe instead of having a full expression of God's love, maybe we're just going to have a limited expression of God's love. If we only comprehend one dimension, or, or let's just say it this way, if I only comprehend a little bit of God's love, is it possible that instead of being filled with all the fullness of God, that I'm, I'm really just going to have a little bit of an expression of who God is in my life? Or, or as a congregation, if we only comprehend a little bit of God's person or nature that we're not going to be able to express much of him if we don't comprehend much of him. So I began to ask the question, what are these different demands? What would it, what would it look like if a believer understood how long the love of God is? Now, I have a reason for this. I'm going to take each of these four And what I'm going to do, I'm not going to start with the first one, which is how wide the love of God is. I'm going to save that till last. I have a reason for that. I want to start with what Paul listed second, how long the love of God is. And what we're going to talk about when I think of length, and and I'm just, 
I'm just sharing with you kind of what I processed mentally and, and hopefully somewhat spiritually um, in thinking of, of the length of the love of God. But when I thought of the length of God's love, I, when I think of length, I begin to think of some of the statements in Scripture that deal like with the uttermost length, far away, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And Jesus said, you'll be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem, that's right here, right where we are, Judea, that's stretching out a little bit further, Samaria, that's a little bit farther yet, and to the uttermost, that's to the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, I thought of the verse um, where... I think it's in Hebrews where it says that he is able to save them to the uttermost that come to him. Um, Scripture has this concept, those who are far away, uh, you know, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm off, but I, pers- I'm just telling you what I thought. When I thought of the length of God's love, I thought of missions and evangelism and outreach. I thought of people who are far away from God. Either it could be far away geographically, but it could just be people that are far away spiritually. Might be geographically, they might be our next door neighbors. But spiritually they're far away from the from the the a relationship with God. So when I think of the length of the love of God, I think of God's love reaching people who are far away to bring them to Him. So when I thought of this in terms of what is the practical application of the love of God, that God doesn't just love me and my little close-knit group of people who believe exactly like I do. God loves the people who are farthest away from Him in other nations, but, but also people who are just separated by sin. So I thought of evangelism, missions, and outreach. And a believer who is oriented toward length is always going to be breathing, sleeping, eating, evangelism. They're just going to think about the lost. And, and if you ask them, what's the most important thing a believer can do? What's the most important thing a church can do? You know what they're going to they're say? It's to reach the lost. Who are their heroes going to be? Reinhard Bonnke. T.L. Osborne. They're going to think of missionaries. They're going to think of evangelists that have gone far away to reach people that are far away from God. The, the, the person who thinks about the length of God's love isn't so much thinking about what's going on inside the church house. They're thinking about what needs to go on outside the church house. That's a length, a person who's focused on the length of God's love. Um, So, but then, then the Bible also goes on to talk about the depth of the love of God. Well, what does the depth communicate? To me, again, other people may have different views or perspectives on this, when I thought about what does it mean to focus on the depth of God's love, I began to think about maturity, discipleship, uh, 
helping people to grow substantively. You know, or it's not just the milk of the word, that's not very deep, but somebody who goes below the surface and really goes for the uh, profound and the, the substantive things of God. So if we want to take people deep into the love of God, then we're talking about discipleship. We're talking about, you know, training. And people can go deep a few different ways. People can go deep um, intellectually, you know, deep in study of Scripture, deep in theology, deep in history, deep in the languages. But people can also go deep spiritually, deep in prayer, deep in devotion, you know, deep in consecration. But when I think of the depth of God's love, I think of maturity. I think of discipleship. Um, and some believers, you know, their passion, their heartbeat is to... And, and here's the statement you'll hear them make. Well, God didn't just call us to make converts. God called us to make disciples. And that's true. But the, the person who focuses on length is saying... Yeah, but we can't make them disciples until we get them converted, so let's go reach the lost. You know, it's like they argue, but they're, they're not, but they do. But they're, they're trying to be respectful of each other, but they really are showing that they're holding kind of to their perspective of things. And then there's the height, the height. And when I thought of height, you know, one thing I think of heaven, you know, as heavens are higher above the earth and so on. But I thought, you know, the verse in Psalm, let the high praises of God be in their mouth. Um, when I think of height, the height of God's I think of all the verses that talk about lift up your eyes, you know, the pra praise and worship. Uh, let's, we're going to go into the holy, the heavenly holy of holies, you know. And, and so when I thought of the height of God's love, I thought of the people who are inclined toward praise and worship, worshipers. They want to take people high. So your evangelists want to take people long out into all the world. Your teachers and others want to take people deep in the word. Your worshipers want to take people high into the presence of God and so on. And... Um, so you've got those three elements, but let's go back to number four, or what is actually number one. For us, we're doing it fourth. The width of the love of God. Because it took me a little bit longer to kind of get a grasp on that than the others. When I, Well, how wide is the love of God? And there's one thing, if, for example, if I'm going to even do the physical gesture of how wide something is, if you look at me, how, how wide something is, this is what people do when they see somebody they haven't seen for a while and they want to hug them. You know, it's width, but it goes into a hug very quickly. And I, when I thought of width, I thought of, uh, uh, it's kind of a silly story, but a few years ago, my wife and I were in Singapore and I was about 40 pounds heavier than I am now. And... Um, I, I say this just, you know, out of observation. Uh, many of the people in Singapore, they're of Chinese descent. 
um, are, I'll just say it this way, they are not as wide as some of us in the Western Hemisphere who have been supersized. Are you with me? In other words, what I'm saying is they are not as fat as I was. And, and you know, so anyway, um, but, you know, I don't know if it's diet, I don't know if it's ex. I don't know what it is, but, you know, when you travel a lot around the world, you notice that Americans are gifted, you know. Um, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to be really nice here. Uh, but, but we tend to be a little bit bigger than people in many parts of the world. And um, so we go out, uh, my wife and I go out for church. It's already started. The worship is underway. And uh, there are chairs kind of like this, but narrower. <laughs> They're actually theater, you know, type, with the seat that pops up and all that. So when we get done with praise and worship, um, I just do what I just plop down. And, and as soon as I sat down, I noticed, boy, I am tied in here. I, I wedged in these armrest type things. And um, I mean, I remember kind of a feeling of panic, like I was in a vice grip. Now, my, my body weight carried me down to the bottom of the seat. But once I was down at the bottom, I had no wiggle room at all. And Lisa, do you remember me leaning over to you? I, I leaned over to my wife and I said, honey, I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stand up. I mean, this thing, they were the jaws of life that I was in. I, I was going to need, you know. And um, so I'm sitting there trying to wiggle, trying to, and I am stuck. And I finally said, now, um, I, I finally said, honey, when they introduce me, I said, I'm going to thrust forward. And, and I said, you put your hand on my back and push. And um, so that was I, maybe one of my wife's most profound times in deliverance ministry. She cast me out of the chair. Um, but... Um, I, I was, you know, I was able to get out of the chair, but it was, I was pretty nervous about whether I was going to be able to get up or not, because that's going to be embarrassing when the guest speaker cannot get up to <laughs> preach because he's stuck in the chair. Not a good testimony, but anyway, but here's the point. That chair, that chair was not wide. That chair was very narrow, and because it was narrow, I felt very, very constricted. Width, in a sense, speaks of comfort. You know, when I was in that tight chair, I remember thinking, boy, this chair was not built for me. I, I, you know, it's kind of like they weren't thinking about my needs when they built this chair, it wasn't, it's not comfortable for me. It's not designed for me. It's not something that's easy to get in and out of. And I began to think about, I, I began to think about that illustration when it comes to width and that when something is wide, you feel accommodated. You feel accepted. You feel like, hey, this, I, I can be comfortable here. I'm not talking about a church being comfortable in the sense that nobody ever gets challenged or exhorted or encouraged. To, but, but what I'm saying is 
that with, as I was thinking through how this could all work together, I began to think of aspects of the church such as just making people feel welcome, (coughs) hospitality, even elements of fellowship and relationship. When a church is wide, people feel like they can come there and be accepted. I was at a church recently, and and please, I'm not saying every church has to do 5,000 different ministries, but I just remember I was sitting in this church, and during the announcements, uh, whoever was doing the announcements was very friendly and just said, hey, if this is your first time, we want you to know how welcome you are, and and we have designed things in this church specifically uh, to be of help to people, uh, in our community, and they did a quick little uh, shot on the screen, and they said, we have four different classes this week. Um, if these would serve you or meet any of your needs, uh, you know, we, we just welcome you to come. And the first, they had four different uh, little graphic things, and um, let me think what they were. One of them was for... Um, it's like a celebrate recovery. If you're here and you're dealing with any kind of addiction or, you know, they use the term hurts, hang-ups and habits. If you're dealing with any kind of, of addictive issues in your life and you'd like to come and be a part of our celebrate recovery group. And then they had a divorce recovery group for another night. And then they had a group for people who had lost a loved one, like a grief recovery program. And then they had a class for, uh, it was Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. And I just thought, you know, if I was a first-time visitor coming and, and I didn't know if this church cared about me or what problems I might be going, I would feel like this church cares about me. I would feel welcome here. And, 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 and I'm not, again, I'm not saying everybody has to offer all those programs or anything, but it just it communicated something. Hey, whatever, whatever, wherever you're at in life, whatever you might be coming through, um, you know, we want you to know that you're welcome here and we want to minister to you in ways that are helpful to you. To me, that communicated this. You know, um, if, if I went to a church... And they didn't have anything like that. Um, But instead, the pastor gets up and says, okay, today I'm going to be sharing part 14 in our 21-part series contrasting the Melchizedekian priesthood versus the Aaronic priesthood. And I'm a first-time visitor. And, I, and, and let's say that I just went through a divorce or I just lost a loved one or I'm struggling financially or I've got a chemical you know, dependency in my life. And they're talking about the difference between Aaron and Melchizedek. Now, that, that may take people deep. Do you understand what I'm saying? That might be a good Bible lesson you know, for somebody that's really ready for some deep stuff. But for just... That's not communicating, you know, a lot of we care about you and we care about your needs. To me, when a church becomes wide, they, they become very relevant to people's needs. Now, let me share with you an example of where I think a church um, 
without even necessarily having a formal program. Uh, a pastor friend of mine, he, he pastors in New Mexico today, but he told me that when he was just barely on the fringes of the faith, that his wife, she was a much more serious Christian than he was. He wasn't all that um, into things, you know, the things of God. And, uh, but they had a couple small kids, and um, she wanted to go to church, so he kind of was doing it just for her. And they, they decide on this church to visit. They pull up to the church. It's, it's kind of misting out, not a full rain, but kind of misting out. And they've never been to this church before, and there were a couple different buildings, and they didn't know where, which building to go to. You know, they're thinking, okay, we're going to drop our kids off somewhere. So they're kind of going slow, and they see this lady uh, who's standing, and she's got a crutch. She's got a crutch under one arm because she has a broken leg and a cast. And she's holding a baby, and she's holding a diaper bag. And... They're going slow, and she, she just notices that um, they're kind of looking like, where do we go? So she hobbles out there with her cast and sticks her head down. They roll down the window. She sees they've got two kids in the back seat, and um, she says, are you guys first-time visitors here? And they said, yes. And she said, are you looking for where to drop your kids off? They said, yes. And she said, well, this isn't the right building. She said, this is the main sanctuary building. She says, follow me. And she goes hobbling off down the parking lot in this mist and um, goes down to this other building. And, I mean, they're just, they're immediately impressed because, you know, she could have just said, well, it's down that way, you know. But she's going to show them where to go. And so she meets them. She leads them to a parking spot. And then she says, can I help you with your kids? Can I help you carry any? And I, oh, no, no, you, you've got your arms full. You're on the cast. And she says, well, I'll, I'll still show you in. So they get the kids out. She walks them into the building. She asks, you know, how old are your kids? What are their names? She takes them personally to each class that these kids belong in. And then she says, now let me take you to the sanctuary. She helps them get their kids checked in. She leads, there's a hallway now that connects the two buildings. She takes them to the sanctuary. She looks around, finds a couple, a young couple about their age. And she says, come on over here. And she, she says, I want you guys to meet each other. She introduces them. And, and so they visit. They find they've got kids similar age. They have common things. And, and, and they're, they're just feeling so welcomed. See, this is, you talk about hospitality. This is hospitality on steroids kind of thing. And, um, and, and so, but they sit down, church is about to start. The husband leans over to the wife and says, I want to come to church here. And the wife says, honey, you haven't even heard the preacher. You haven't even heard the music. And he says, I don't care. I want to come to church here. He said, if there's people here like this, this is the kind of place I want to be. Well, that was a beginning point for him to really get turned on to God. Later gets called to pastoring and things like that. But again, before they ever heard the pastor preach. Now see, Pastor John, we want to think that people come to church because we're so good. You know, 
in, in many cases, people want to come to church because they want to see their friends. Can we be honest? Now, some people may really like our messages. Some people may really get into our messages. And some people, they honestly, just like we talked, some people, the favorite part of the service is when they give tithes and offerings. Not many, but a few. That's their favorite part of the service. And can I be honest? Some people, their favorite part of the service is hanging around, having coffee and donuts with their friends. And, you know, now listen, that just slays me as a minister. That just... You know, oh, I can't believe they don't like my sermon the best of all. But it's true. Some people like other parts of church. Some people, you know, their favorite part of church is not being in church. Their favorite part of church is leaving church and going out and winning the lost. Can you imagine somebody being that crazy that they actually love lost people more than they love being in church with the saints? But you know what? They do. Not many, but some do. Um, did you know that some people like the praise and worship more than they like our sermons? What's wrong with these people? But they actually like praising God more than they like hearing us preach. Because some people are wired in a way that they're length believers. Some people are wired that they are width believers fellowship, hospitality, just making people feel welcome, making people feel accepted. That, that is their spiritual button that thrills them. Some people are. See, I think everybody, personally, I think everybody should be a depth Christian because that's what I am. So I think everybody should be that way. But shock of all shocks... They're not all wired the same way I'm wired. They should be, but they're not. <laughs> worshipers, they just want they they would be happy if our sermons were short and the worship was long. But we know the worship should be short and the message should be long, right? That's the way it should be. If I was God, that's how everybody would be designed, all right? But I'm not God. And notice what Paul prayed. That all believers would comprehend. Notice what he said. What is the width and the length and the depth and the height. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. See, what we tend to do is we tend to read it this way, that you might know what is the width or the length or the depth. or the, Because we want to... And see, even in our church names... Now, please, I'm not picking on it. Don't, do, do not think you have to go out and change your church name at all. But if you look at churches that were begun in different decades... Their names will often, not always, but often reflect what was the major spiritual emphasis at that time. In the 80s, Pastor John and all, all us Rhema folk that are in here, we basically came in during a teaching revival. 
The emphasis was on the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. How many of you Rayma grads know I'm telling the truth? And, you know, that's when I came in. And so that's, that's what I like. That's what I was raised with. So what did all of our churches get called? Word of life. Word of faith. All of our churches, so many of them, had something of that nature. Not all, but many of the churches of that era had something... And, and so if you show me a church whose name is Word of Something or such and such Bible church, very often what that is communicating without even meaning to communicate it is we tend to value the Word more than anything else. But other people came in and different, and, and other churches were started by maybe pastors with different graces and, and a little bit different vision and a little bit different. So how many churches got started and became such and such outreach? Such and such missionary or, or evangelistic. You know, my first church that I was on staff at was named evangelistic temple. What does that tell you? That was a church that started in, because in the word temple being used in the church, that identified it kind of as a church from the 40s or the 50s, or tabernacle, you know. How many of you know new churches being started today don't usually call themselves temple or tabernacle? Okay. Um, so, uh, but other churches, you know, that got started at a certain point might be such and such worship center. What are they communicating by that? That they really value the height of God's love. And then other churches that where the pastor is primarily geared toward the breadth of the love of God, the width, they will be called such and such community church or such and such fellowship. What, now, what I'm saying right now is not absolute at all. But, but I'm saying these are some generalities that tend to communicate that certain people have a, a, a certain bent toward or a certain leaning toward one of these dimensions as opposed to all four of the dimensions. Now, I'll be very honest with you, my primary orientation, I think both by my background training and maybe just by the way I'm personally wired in terms of my calling and maybe somewhat because of my personality and things like that, I'm geared toward depth. I, what I think about when I think about doing something to help people, I primarily think about how to mature them how to take them deeper in the Word. But does that mean that my approach is more important or better than somebody else's approach? What about somebody who is a gifted soul winner? And, and they don't necessarily, maybe not, they don't necessarily take people deep, but boy, they sure get people in. Is, is, is what they do inferior to what I do? No, it's different than what I do. But 
but people who are length-oriented and are always thinking about the lost and are always thinking about outside the four walls of the church, that's valuable. That's indispensable. But see, what we need to realize is that God does not want us thinking either or. God wants us thinking both and. You stop and think about Brother Hagin. And I love Brother Hagin, respect him higher than any person I've ever met on earth. But you stop and think about where was he, where was he wired? He was wired toward depth, taking believers into maturity. Do you know when it comes to the width of hospitality, making people feel welcome, that Brother Hagen would be the first one to tell you that would not have been his strength. If Brother Hagen was going to get together with other believers, chances are 99.9% is because he was going to teach them, not because he was going to have fellowship with them. How many of you knew Brother Hagen well enough to know that he wasn't a hyper-sociable type person? He wasn't. But, but could he take you deep? You'd better believe he could take you deep. But it was not Brother Hagen coordinating the fall social. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And see, in a church, you might have a church where there's a great Bible teacher. But is, is he going to be geared toward? Is he going to be gifted? Is it even going to be in his thinking about having a, a fellowship where people are just, you know, chatting and mingling and, you know talking about their kids and talk, it might not ever cross that person's mind. But see, for a church to be healthy, a church needs to have some semblance of, of focus in all of those. And the reality is, usually, even though one person may be the leader, this is one thing I really appreciate my, my 18 and a half years of working with Pastor Hagen. You know, Pastor Hagen was a, a, a cause oriented person, you know, passionate preaching and things like that. And, and, and he would say, you know, I'm not really good in just sitting down in a hospital room with somebody and listening to them and all that. But he told us as staff, he said, you guys are wired different than I am. He said, you guys can sit down and just be patient, listen to people, focus on them. And see, he recognized that even though he was strong in a certain area, that he needed to surround himself with other people who had other gifts and that, you know, we're all wired better for different things. And so part of, and the reason I'm tying all this into this idea of mobilized believers and an empowered church is that no one person is necessarily going to be a hundred percent geared toward all of these. Some people are going to be, they, they are the most loving, welcoming people. They can make people feel welcome and connect with people and, and all that. But they aren't necessarily profound Bible teachers to take people into deep things. Some people could be a great Bible teacher, but you're going you're to put them in charge of leading worship? And they're, they're, that's not... But they, they can appreciate somebody who can, but that's not their area. 
So one of the great keys to a healthy, growing church, if I can go back to the statement that um, oh, his, Rick Warren made, that his definition of growing ch- a growing church, every church needs to grow warmer through fellowship. Now, he used five, and I'm using four, but I'm using the Bible, so mine's right. No, I'm just kidding. There, you know, there's several ways to say this thing. But when he talks about the church growing warmer through fellowship, to me, that's the broad, if I was going to make a parallel. Uh, deeper through discipleship, where there's the depth. Stronger through worship, there's the height. More broad through ministry. So I think, you know, serving could be another way the church goes wide. You go out and you serve your community. You do things. I I think that's a great point he's making. And larger through evangelism, there's the length. You know, and so let me just do something for fun here. Um, We just have a minute or two left. I want you to stop and think about these four dimensions. Length, outreach, evangelism, missions. I want you to think about depth. Maturity, discipleship, you know, training people, things of that nature. Height, worship, praise, exaltation. And then width, hospitality, um, fellowship, um, that type of thing. Uh, I want you to pick one. Now, I'm not saying you can only be good in one. And maybe you think, well, yeah, I kind of have a heart for two or three of these. Maybe I'm not very good in one of these. But but if you had to pick one that was your strongest area, that you think is what God has gifted you the most toward, what you feel your best contribution is in one of these areas, let's just start with these. How many of you, we'll just go with the order that Paul did, how many of you think that your greatest strength is helping your church be more broad, welcoming, accepting, facilitating fellowship, hospitality. Let me see, hold it up real high. You think that the most you contribute to your church is you help your church be more broad. So look around, a pretty good number on broad, all right? How many of you feel like um, your greatest uh, contribution is length? You're good at evangelism, outreach. You're a soul winner. You're out. It's what you do outside the walls of the church that you feel is your best uh, gift. Go ahead, raise your hands. Okay, absolutely nobody here cares about the lost. Okay, no, there are two people. Two people care about the lost. Three people care about the lost. Four people care about the lost. Five people care about people care about the lost. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, I was starting to get really discouraged there for a minute. But five people. Now, I will say, see, the difference between width and length is the wide people are loving people who come. The long people are loving people who don't come. You understand what I'm saying? And do you know why we have more width people than we have length people? And just so you'll know, I've done this dozens of times, and it's always that same ratio. The length is always, is because it's easier to love people who are already coming. 
just usually. So, um, so there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, all right? So, um, but how many of you feel like depth is your greatest contribution? You help t- take people deeper through maturity. You like to train, you like to teach, and things like that. So we've got a good number of hands there. All right, how many of you feel like height is your, your heartbeat to take people into the presence of God, drawing people up, making them look to Jesus, you know, leading people in worship, things like that. I knew my wife would raise her hand on that, and there's a number of others. Okay, two, two other questions. How many of you didn't raise your hand on any of them? All right. Now, just out of curiosity, not to put anybody on the spot, is it because it was hard to choose between? So how many did you feel conflicted between? All four? All right, very good. So you may be the perfectly balanced Christian. It's possible. It it is possible that you really do have some heart for all of them. So no no problem, no concern. What what about you? You didn't raise your same thing. You felt there were too many going there. Okay, all right. Anybody else? That, what's that now? No, you you do all of them. You desire all of them. Exactly. You absolutely. Do. Yeah. You may be stronger in one area than another. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the longer we're in the things of God, we can learn to be a little bit better at areas that maybe we weren't as naturally inclined toward. So that's a very good. You're saying that we can desire all of them and even to a degree be involved, even though we might be better at one than another. So, but what this also highlights, and I'll say this in closing, what this also highlights is the fact that there's room for all of us. Because Different people are better at different things. We could do things that are maybe outside of our comfort zone. They're not our most natural. Do you notice that Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist? He wasn't an evangelist, but he he needed to do the work of an evangelist. So sometimes Timothy was a pastor, but Paul had to tell him to do the work of an evangelist. So sometimes we do stretch and that type of thing. But I am so thankful for people who do the things that I can't do. I don't have to feel inferior or intimidated because I'm not good at other areas. But what I can do is celebrate and applaud those who, man, you're so good at what I can't do. I'm so thankful. See, we all have gifts differing according to the grace. We're all members of one body, but we don't all have the the same function. And we don't want to use that as a cop-out for not doing something that we could do. But at the same time, we want to recognize that God does give some people some really specialized, you know, and I'll share this. This will really be my final closing. Final closing. Howard Carter, uh, Brother Hagen referred to him quite a bit. He, he uh, Brother Sumrall got some training under him. He was one of the early Pentecostal pioneers who taught on the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. And um, one time he, w- he had done a meeting and a person came up to him and said, Brother Carter, would you lay hands and pray for me for healing? And Brother Carter said, well, I- I'd be happy to. But he said, my primary gift is to lay hands on people for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He said, now, I could lay hands on you as a believer, according to Mark 16. But he said, my wife is over here and she has a better anointing for healing than I do. 
why don't you have my wife pray because she, God uses her more in the area of healing. He uses me more in the area of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that neat when we can recognize, hey, other people are gifted at different things. I don't, I don't have to be great at everything. We can, we can celebrate other people's gifts and, and uh, you know, have them involved. And, you know, I, I just think God's plan for us is that we be mobilized believers. And when we're mobilized believers, we will be an empowered church. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you that there's not a single one of us that you've not called to serve you, to represent you, to be used by you, to have gifts flowing in and flowing out of. And Lord, I just pray that every church, every congregation here will be so blessed uh, to be so full of your spirit. And I pray exactly what Paul prayed, that each and every one of us will comprehend uh, what, is the, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that we can all be filled with all the fullness of God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Pastor John. Thank you. That was wonderful. I know that all of you, it was well worth coming this morning for that. Very, not just encouraging, but liberating and helpful. Praise God. I want to thank all of you for coming. Those of you from SCC, of course, Tony and Lisa will be with us tomorrow. Those of you that are here for the RMA luncheon, it will, we're going to start at 1230 over here in the fellowship hall. And if you haven't paid, you can see Pastor Ray. He wore a colored shirt today, so you could find him easily today. So God bless you. Thank you all for coming, and enjoy the rest of your day.